Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Game Dev London podcast. My name's Adam, you can refer to me as he, him, and I am one of the hosts and co-founders of Game Dev London. And with me today is Stuart DeVille. How are you doing, Stu? I'm really good. Hi, everybody. Uh, in case you don't already know, I am Stuart DeVille. Uh, <laughs> I am also one of the co-founders slash directors of Game Dev London. And yeah, uh, excited to get chatting today. Yeah, it's nice to be back and having uh, us two chat about something that uh, I'm really interested in. I know you're really interested in too. I want to chat today about uh, emergent behavior. Uh, so emergent behavior in video games and to sort of generally beyond. Now, uh, I know it's something that you're really interested in, right, Stu? It is indeed, yeah. Um, and it's it's something that I like. I, I've I've experienced a lot in other games uh, that I've played, obviously. And uh, I've not I've yet to make a game where there is uh, emergent behavior. So it's like something that I'm. I'd really like to dig into. Um, so yeah, let's, let, should we let, let's get cracking, shall do we? It. <laughs> um, so let's start with um, what is emergent behavior in video games, Adam? So emergent behavior is basically, it, it, to, to use the words directly, it's behavior that emerges from within the game that was not actually designed by the game itself. Um, so what you're looking for here are, if you read, if you imagine if you read a rule book for the game, the thing that you're uh, the behavior that would be classed as emergent it does not exist in the rule book so this might be an example of this might be um uh ways that uh, people add objectives to a game that don't exist so an example might be in half-life 2 people try and play the game carrying a gnome from the beginning of the game to the end of the game um that's not in the rules surprisingly you don't have to do that but it is an emergent behavior uh Games where, uh, you know, if you were playing, I don't know, say Grand Theft Auto and you want to do a street race, but in the main world, it's not take you're just play you're just doing it with your friends. You agree on the setup. The rules of the game allow it to happen, but it's not specifically defined. So the behavior is emergent. It emerges from the, the rules and parameters of the game, um, which is really interesting because you'd think that because it's on a computer and there are defined rule sets and stuff, there's only so much you can do. And certainly in a lot of games, that is the case. You can't actually go beyond certain limits. You know, it's just going to be uh, whatever the game is. You know, it's hard to have emergence, uh, emergent behavior in a card game, for example, because you only have so many defined cards. You have defined places where they go. You can't really start doing weird things outside of the rule sets. But especially in anything that's got uh, sort of open behaviors. So we're talking um, uh, physics, uh, physics playgrounds, uh, open world games, uh, anything where it's sort of you're messing around with the numbers and then there's a result. Uh, so there's there's laws as opposed to rules, I guess is the way to put it, mm. um, that you can start to get really interesting behavior sort of coming out of those spaces. Yeah, I mean, like uh, when it comes to emotion, well, when it comes to players creating their own emotion behavior, it's something that happens quite a lot with like speedrunners, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, pe people who purposely try and break the game and go out of bounds and do all of these things. And, e and even when they do that, like they have to discover what what happens when they do that. So that, again, there's like more emotion behavior. But obviously we're talking about uh, when a the, the people making the game have specifically tried to create an environment where this stuff happens organically. Um, what would be like some good examples of emotion behavior? Well, to start, to start with, I mean, just to, picking up at that point is that you are right, which is that people, a lot of people, though, they think emergent behavior and they go, oh, that must be, you know, when um, you can, uh, the uh, something like Minecraft, where you, people start off and going and designing things, right? You know, you go, people start making pieces of art and that kind of stuff, or, or the kind of game gameplay modes that come out of it where people are trying to compete, you know, they do fight against each other, which is not really what is in the game, but you can do it. And there's those mm. kind of situations where it's, it's specifically gameplay, people class as emergent behavior. But actually, interestingly, glitches and exploiting glitches is a type of emergent behavior because it's within the rules of the game and the game space, um, but it is a behavior that was not intended. It wasn't expected. Um, and some of the best kind of uh, uh, glitches have become, become emergent behavior that then define the game. So a really good example uh, is in the game Tribes, which is famous for its really fast flowing uh, combat. You know, you, you could sort of you, you sort of skate off uh, hills and things and go flying across the map. And it's all about speed and accuracy. But that's not what the game was designed for at all. The game was designed for use of vehicles across a very large map. So you sort of 
slowly, uh, you know, you'd move across and you'd take each other out in more like a, almost like a battlefield. It's only when players uh, discovered that this was a thing that could happen uh, that basically they could... Uh, it's almost like bunny hopping. They basically used the jump button to, to, to break part of the game so that when they were going down and up hills, they could use it to build rapid momentum that they realized they could launch themselves across map. And of course, once that sh that's shared out with everybody else, everyone else goes, why would I get in a vehicle and travel, you know, take five minutes to, to slowly motorbike my way across the map when I can fling myself across it, still have my gun. Da, da, da. And the whole game then became this sort of really fast paced um, attack game where and, and that freedom of motion is the thing that then sold the game to people. People then got interested in the game because they're like, oh, you really want to play tribes? It's, you know, I only found out about the emergent that it was emergent behavior later on. I was sold tribes by people going. Oh, it's so fluid. The movement's amazing. You can like fly all over the map and all this kind of thing. And that was how I got sold the game. And no one said, by the way, the game wasn't built for that. <laughs> like that's just a <laughs> it's just a thing the community discovered. I was just told that's what yeah. the game was always meant to be. And it's interesting that the best kind of emergent behaviors almost take over and become what the game either what the game was meant to be from the start or um, something that then goes on to define that game. Um, and another, so and another interesting sort of mechanic of this uh, appears in uh, World of Warcraft, where you've got um, the idea of originally people could trade items for sort of in-gamey type currency, and then because that just existed within the world space, people went, well, what if I want to use actual currency? And then people started spending money outside of the game to buy stuff inside of the game, which is the other side of the emergent behavior coin is that you don't directly have control over what emergent behavior appears. You can kind of, you know, you can define rule sets and parameters and, and try and limit it. But I don't think that the intention was to allow people to trade money outside, because if it was, then what would have happened is the in-game auction house, which now exists, would have existed beforehand. Um, and because it only exists, uh, you know, because it didn't exist at the time, people would trade actual currency for items. And that is a form of emergent behavior, but it's not. It wasn't intended, and probably not what they wanted because it was, it's unregulated at that point, and that's not great. So it, yeah. you know, there's a lot of examples of emergent behavior, but they all fall onto sort of different sides of the line as well. So it's interesting to think about um, how you know, do you want emergent behavior, and how important that is. Yeah, I think it's important for studios to consider this, right? And it's it's also why it's really important for you to get some player feedback before you have a a full release because there's some things in your game that you, you like you say you, you wouldn't have planned but players discover just just by the nature of when you play with things right uh, and and then the developers are able to decide like oh actually that is really cool it's not what our game is kind of about and maybe if you're not too far into development you could be like actually this is a fine point for us to pivot a little bit and change the game and make that uh make that like a core part of the game essentially yeah and that's uh, what uh, would you also just just on that oh, quickly because there's another example yeah. i wanted to bring up well exactly on that which is the thinking about designing around it there's another really good example which is not actually from video games it's from uh physical games i guess uh so i own a game called uh Mulky, which is it, it, it's sort of like uh skittles but not quite you basically you set up the rules are you set up 12 uh, sort of wooden blocks, sort of tall pillars. You set them out in kind of a Skittles-like formation. And the game is you are throwing uh, a, bat a baton at them, uh, knocking them over. And if you if you knock over one, you get the, the points of the number on it. So if you knock over just the number 12, you get 12 points. But if you knock over more than one, you get the points of the number that you knocked over. So if you knock over just 12, you get 12 points. But if you knock over 12 and one, you get two points because you knocked two Skittles over. So it's a game that rewards accuracy in trying to be, you know, on the money with which one you oh, hit. Right, yeah. Now, the big rule in that game that makes it emergent is that if you knock a Skittle over, you pick the Skittle up where it has landed and continue play like that. So if I were to knock, you know, early on in the game, I, you know, amazing eagle-eyed Robin Hood, lock in, throw it, hit the number 12, uh, number 12 goes flying, right? And I get 12 points, great. But the number 12 has now gone flying. I have to go stand it up where it is. So now the number 12 is like four feet away from where it was for the rest of the game. Which means that a whole new... So 
those are all the rules that I've just outlined. There's no more rules. And the, the other rules, there are other rules around scoring, but they're not to do with, you know, the, the throwing and that kind of thing. Um, but now there's this mechanic of, okay, well, maybe I don't need 12, but maybe if I throw a really hard shot and try and smash the 12, you know, miles away, it could mess up somebody else's score or stop them from doing it. And as the game continues, the skills get further and further apart and clusters start to appear, you know, the, the big numbers get further back because they have more hits or, you know, uh, the number seven ends up in front of the number 10. So if you need 10, you're going to have an even harder shot to do. And that gets really interesting because it means that every time you play a round, it's different because you're not, you don't know where the skittles are going to spread out. Are they going to spread out a lot, a little? Are you going to have to do better or worse shots? Are you going to have to launch it? And it can favor different players. You know, are you more accurate? Are you going to try and be more accurate? Are you going to try and play it so that you uh, are just going to try and slam all of them and just go for like slowly building up your score? And even in a game like that, which is relatively straightforward, you know, and it can't be too comprehensive because it's played in a, you know played in the back garden with twelve skittles and a, and a big stick basically. Um, it still has a very smart use of emergent behavior to create a really interesting game that every time you play changes the gameplay. And the same is true, and I hadn't actually realized this, the same is true for bowling, right? Because when you bowl your first shot, you don't actually know what's going to happen at the end of it. And your second mm. shot is a form of emergent behavior because it's come from how the Skittles have, have fallen. And obviously it's very well defined in terms of, you know, there's only so many things that can happen. But think about things like the 7-10 split, or they all end up on one side or the other, or there's a split, but there's more on one side or the other. That was not part of the game. It wasn't defined to happen like that. They, It's very well constrained, but the fact that every time you bowl, you're not 100% sure how it's going to manifest means that it's a bit of emergent behavior. The other side of this is, is interesting as well, because I was learning today about where it stops becoming emergent behavior and starts becoming a whole new thing. Because another example for this would be The Sims, which is that People who play The Sims, you know, you build your house, and people do it, and people start telling stories, right? So you know, mm -hmm. go, oh well, this person, uh, you know, he's gonna have an affair with that person up there, or, or he's gonna be friends with this person, and you start telling the story. And actually, is that still emergent behavior? Because at that point, you're now just creating the story from scratch. That's not even within the rules of the game; it exists outside, even though it's emerged from the game and the rules of it. The fact that you can define who goes where and what and stuff, it's not part of the rule set it's not part of the game the narrative doesn't really exist in the space at all it's not because it's just because of it and you put it on top so it's interesting to think about even when you get too far into creative tools it can just be it can sit outside of your game and have nothing really to do with the space that you're in but it, but even if you're at the absolute smallest level you can still have emergent behavior so it's interesting to think about sort of the constraints of it in that sense as well yeah so uh with with the Sims, um, I remember. I, I'm pretty sure it was when people were modding it. Um, I was able to insert characters. I think now the characters are entirely. Uh, you can change them however you want. I haven't played for a while, but as, at the time when I played it, um, I yeah, I, I modded it and I had Wonder Woman, Spider Man, Carnage, and Venom living in the same neighborhood, and Wonder Woman started her relationship with spider-man and ended up getting kidnapped well like having an affair and leaving to go live with venom <laughs> naturally and that, um yeah and that and that that it's those kind of things that emerge they they emerge from the game but they're not emergent if that makes sense you know that it happens because yeah the the, the relationship stuff happened either because the game allows that to happen um, and because you've told it to happen, but it's not because of the game. It's because of a narrative that you're telling yourself um, <laughs> in the nicest way possible. <laughs> like you're just telling yourself <laughs> stories. That's what you do. Um, but, yeah. um, but that, and, and it's interesting to think about, you know, you and that is it's a different type of game altogether at that point, but that still exists and yeah. it's still important, you know, and that's where, you know, when you get to something like Minecraft, the difference between being such an open sort of sandbox, the difference between, um, the store a story that you tell yourself with your playing going oh you know we are this and this village is the village of of these people and i'll do this and da, 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 da. and emergent behaviors like uh creating you know we're gonna build uh our own races and, and race against each other or we're gonna uh play a, a hide and seek type game and that kind of stuff the slight difference between the two and 
how those then affect gameplay because technically you can you can place a story on almost anything can play out that way depending on the parameters of the game certainly lends itself to more sandboxes but emergent behaviors allow more game modes almost or allow game or allow existing game modes to have variants which means that in a similar way to when we discuss sort of perceived generation of randomness that every time you play there's a slight variation so it makes it harder for that game to feel stale even after 10 20 30 100 attempts yeah for sure um what would you say the the benefits are of emergent behavior in games so the key is really going to be that 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 kind of the feeling that every time you're going to go into it, you're going to have a, a, a either a unique experience or a slightly different experience. It reduces the ability of the game to feel stale, right? So in a different way to sort of perceive generation where you define it, it, it's harder to create the space for emergent games, emergent gameplay to uh, manifest. However, if you can allow it to do so, then people will enjoy your game uh in a, in a unique way every time which for a lot of players is really beneficial they will feel more connected to the game they will feel it's more interesting because things can change every time that they play um so an example of this would be uh so in the games in the game split second which is a racing game from uh 2011 i think um one of my favorite games well there you go um mm. and one of the most interesting things about it is that it it's emergent behavior comes in the fact that it has things that can be destroyed along the track you know so you can change yeah. the course change the path change um and sometimes it's very minor you know you you cause a, a slight explosion which means people have to shift to the left instead of going in a straight line and at the highest level it fundamentally changes the entire track like literally will blow up a section of the track and so now you have to go around the wreckage through an air an aircraft hangar and, and do it that way um which is then it's it's defined within the realms of the game but it means that every time you play, you're not quite sure how that track is going to go down. You know, uh, you could be maybe if you're first, you go, you know what? I'm first. I don't need to do anything. But then the person in fifth goes, I'm going to mess this up intentionally to try and make it more interesting for me and give me a better chance. I'm going to blow up this part of road, try and mess up that person and change it. And you see this in a lot of racing games in particular, the racing games that sit outside of simulators. So you're, Mario Karts, your uh, Crash Team Racing, all, all those kind of ones where they have things that change each time, where you've got weapon sets and blue shells. and all. The reason those rely on people's memories is really as, as interesting parts of those games, but because every time you race, you don't know how those are going to manifest. You know they exist, but yeah. they how it actually uh, happens is different. Um, and those are very, very well-defined emergent behaviors, right? They're not like completely emergent, but they are ways in which they are set out for the players to use to then change how the game is played. Um, and then when you go, when you get up to the areas of like, um, say, uh, Halo and the Forge maps and being able to generate your own kind of setups using within the rule sets of what exist, you can get to some really interesting spaces where you can build out entirely new kind of game modes that just do not exist um to allow your players to play the game in a different way and actually whole kind of you know when you, especially when you start getting into sort of, of um modding and, and we're starting to blur the lines in emergence and other things but when you get into areas where people play games differently together and they sort of execute ways in different ways i mean if you look at um uh, again pulling back onto minecraft slightly but the competitive minecraft which exists in the kind of you, you, the, I can't remember the top of my head what it's called, but there's the one where each of you gets given basically a small section of Minecraft map. Um, mm -hmm. And you have so long to kind of prepare yourself for when the curtain comes down. And then you all sort of go in and attack each other. Very kind of Hunger Games style. Um, yeah. That comes from people playing it in the game first, where they agree the rules of the game exist. And then they, on top of that, agree another set of, of rules which they have to sort of bet between each other basically accept that this is gonna, this is how we're going to play it and then battle each other in that kind of space but that kind of unique setting and, and being able to every time you go in do something that interests you on top of the game that was already there makes it feel more personal more interesting uh more unique and basically can allow people to, you to shortcut content 
for uh, behavior and gameplay. That you don't need to, again, in a very similar way to preceding generation, you don't have to provide the players with literally every aspect of the game for them to enjoy it. But the more you can give them the resources to make their own fun and make their own gameplay, then the more they will do that and the more they'll get out of your game. Key example at the minute being Dreams, which is a game that is entirely mm. about giving the tools to the player. And we see yeah. emergence from that in the form of, you know, nobody expected everybody, people in Dreams to base, you know, create an almost one-to-one recreation of Forza or Metal Gear Solid or entire piano sets or film or all the stuff that's come from it. They, the whole point was they built a bunch of a tool set and gave it to them. Now, whether you want to class that as more of an engine and less of a game that has emergent behavior, you can. But certainly the ways in which those tools have been used has been a demonstration of emergent behavior because it was they're all defined as this is what this this is how this can be used. And then people push the absolute boundaries of that to see where the to find the interesting and unique spaces that nobody thought of before. Yeah. I, when you uh, mentioned um, uh, Mario Kart there, I, I have very fond memories of, of playing Mario Kart and being like at the back and getting the blue shell and that, it, like changing the whole game. Uh, and obviously, the the reason that Mario Kart has those things is to balance players' um, skill sets, right? So people who are really good at the game can play with people who aren't very good at the game, and the, the people who aren't very good at it or, or highly skilled at drift or whatever can still potentially win a couple of games, uh, and in some cases, yeah, like be the winner of the game as a whole, uh, which obviously is uh, make makes the game better. But do we think that emotional behavior always makes a game better? Well, and this is the thing is that it doesn't always because it's undefined is the problem is that you don't know. You can set it up as much as you can without you very harshly restricting the limitations of what the player can do. And that makes it difficult for emergent behavior to emerge, essentially. Um, you don't always know how it's going to manifest or in what way. So pulling back to the earlier example, the the uh, selling of in-game items for actual cash is an issue for the developers um, in so much as that you, you cannot control the economy of your own game in that sense, which means it's unregulated, which means that when people have issues, you can't do anything about it. Uh, and that's a dangerous space to be in. That's why the in-game auction house appears. They had more control over it. There's other reasons as well, don't get me wrong. Mm, but... Yeah. You know, imagine if you were, you know, a small indie team making uh, an interesting game with cosmetics, and then suddenly, you know, you're getting calls from parents because their kid lost twenty, thirty quid because they bought whatever, whatever, whatever. That's a dangerous place to be in, especially when you're a small studio. Um, and equally, people can, especially when it comes to things like glitches and bugs, especially if your game is um, designed to be. Uh, uh, word uh, uh basically within within a box right it's designed to have its own limits and and, and be uh set up in such a way that people can only, that people play it within the parameters that you find you've set if people find a way to break those parameters so you know maybe your game is designed to be very difficult um and then somebody finds a way to oh in fact well here's a, here's a great example skyrim right skyrim is designed to be, has things is designed to be whether it is or not is a different question designed to be well balanced um and for players to you know use all the mechanics and work work with them and have them all combined to to do uh to, to make it easy for them you know, to, to, to level up over time so that you never feel like you're too far away from being able to do things and that if you just play for longer and, and, and level up you can do it but people quite quickly discovered uh that if you uh utilize uh smithing in the right way um you can basically game how it works, and this is where the emergent behavior comes in, to continuously smith very small, cheap items to level up your capacity to smith, and in turn using magic, because it's a whole other mechanic over here, to give yourself bonuses to your capacity to smith. You basically get to a point beyond the game's expectations of your ability to make items, which allows you to make items of near infinite strength and near infinite value, which breaks the systems of the game. Because if you're a level, whatever, 10 character with a weapon so powerful, it literally can kill everything in one hit. The game is now broken because you there is no more challenge to it, which 
is the problem is that it, it's it, the fact that it exists within the game and in the vanilla game right it's not it can't be patched out entirely because it's part of how the you know those those things are built together and the thing is Skyrim and, and Bethesda games do lean into this and they have they're meant to be these kind of open world games that allow you to kind of find the the patches and the holes and, and the ways in which these work and that's fine but if you were a player who found this uniquely you didn't you know you didn't walk it wasn't something you were doing as a test you 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 did it because you realized you were playing the game and found it and well like, oh it's interesting once you've hit that point of having the infinite weapon the game loses a significant amount of its shine because now you are now having to make the choice to take on uh enemies in a lesser state you have a weapon that can now defeat them you're just choosing not to use it for the fun of the game and that takes a little bit off i mean it depends on your your persuasion for me it would take a little bit off the shine of the game if i took on an enemy who was very powerful and you know it was a struggle and they nearly beat me but then i beat them at the last minute it doesn't feel as good doing that if you know you if you just switch weapons and brought out your, your warhammer of a million damage that you could have just gone poke and they would have died and that's an example yeah. of where emergent behaviors can be bad is that if you if they can break if you're if you don't have too many of the upper parameters or, or allow people to find a place in your game that allow them to undermine some of the core principles of the game you know difficulty or uh how you level up or experience or how uh enemies manifest or whatever it might be that you really can uh cause a lot of damage to your uh, the integrity of your own game and a really interesting actually a really interesting way so talking about skyrim as an example um lots of simulation uh games um uh, in the loosest sense so any kind of game where it's about you it has an in-game economy and it's about you trying to you know you, you build up over time you make things you you do a you do a thing like digging or mining or whatever you use that to make uh some some income or money then you use that to buy better tools to mine better stuff and that kind of that kind of gameplay loop a lot of them have very small holes because they're complex rule sets that allow players to absolutely break them which is hilarious to watch less fun to play because then you just sort of undermine the game so i watch a youtuber called let's game it out who literally one of his a lot of his videos are around him playing these kind of simulation management games and going how can i fundamentally undermine the rules of this game within the rule sets that's provided and it's really as a game designer it's really interesting to watch because you will see the very very small glitches that totally undermine everything that you've built so an example of this there's a game that's about uh becoming a so mining in sort of a medieval age type thing right so you, you start off with access to a spade you dig some mud you put it in a bucket you clean it off you get a few rocks and gems you polish them up take them to the shop sell them for some money great right um the guy discovered so the, uh, josh who plays that game out he discovered that if you um blew up a bunch of items eventually you can get dynamite that they basically it returns sort of debris which is these very small cubes and those very, very, very small cubes are worth one cent, 0.01 cent, which, you know, nothing. But when mm -hmm. you sold it, a glitch in the game meant the item didn't sell. It You got the money, but you didn't lose the item. So he would just literally do it forever, do it for hours. And then suddenly, you know, and then one cent, one cent of an item that never goes away very quickly becomes a million dollars. When you don't lose that item, and now he has all the money in the in the game to do whatever he wants with, which is fine if he's if, for him because he's 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 playing the game trying to break it. But for you as a developer looking at that, going, it's not really what our game is about. You know, we're not trying to. We don't want people to just break it. And it's interesting he played because he does games like um, uh, uh, Valheim, and he discovers uh, if you don't want to know if you don't want to know how to very quick. Well, I don't know if this has been patched out, but if you don't want to know how to very quickly win Valheim, look away now. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he discovers that you can basically throw down, like, I think it's um, fire pits, uh, or like, like so, so you could rest that and stuff, but they do burning damage to things that get stuck. And he also discovers that he can build, he can, he can dig around, like, certain areas and create trenches to trap enemies. And so for some of the bosses, he literally goes around throwing fire pits at them from a distance and catches them in trenches so that they can't attack him 
which even if he's like a level one character, he's able to beat like level 30 bosses because he's undermined two of the mechanics in the game. Um, and it's, 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 it's amazing to watch and it's, it's great to see, you know, to find where these glitches are. But you do have to be very, very careful, especially when you're trying to make laws as opposed to rules. You know, the ba- create the, the, the boundaries within which your player plays as opposed to hard setting them to certain parameters. That if you make too many and make your system too complex, the opportunity for them to find the gaps and holes and completely break the system increases. And that might not necessarily be a bad thing for you personally because you may enjoy that and you may enjoy people finding that. And, you know, if people find that, that means they're playing the game and that's great. But depending on your game... And if people find it and then people use that glitch and then it undermines the enjoyment factor of the game and people find it too easy because of it, you have to be so careful around those kind of aspects of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so when when you've got, um, when you when you are, what was my question here? Uh, my Basically, my question is like how, with, the, with all of that in mind, how do you design for emotion behavior? Like, and make sure that you're not ending up with these situations where people are just going to merc your game and potentially make it pointless to play. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, right? It's difficult, is the answer. I mean, so you're basically, you have to think of it, if, you, if you're interested in having emergent behavior in your game, you have to think of it in terms of uh, discrete systems that interact with each other um, that also don't limit the capacity of the game. So, which is a complex way of describing it, which is basically, it just means that you're not trying to build like straight up. This is how the game works. You're trying to give the player tools to uh, how they approach challenges in the game. So, an example of this would be if you take take uh, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild versus uh, a two D Legend of Zelda game, right? Uh, so they just remade. Um, I can't remember which one they remade, but they remade it recently, and it's top down uh, and very cute. Um, the originals are very much defined. There's a little bit of stuff in there, you know, you can throw a bomb and where you throw it does bits and pieces and da, 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 da. but mostly it's very well defined, right? You can move in four, in four, in a few directions. Uh, you know, you stab in a certain direction. Uh, there's items inside of, of chests and things in jars and things that you break. Um, it's all very well defined. There's no space for you to do things. You've not been given tools. You've just been given uh, ways to play, right? You've just been given press this button, it does a thing. It's not, you know, you can't you can't combine all these things to do a lot, right? Whereas Breath of the Wild, they go for a much more of a physics based. So one number one, physics is a very easy way to create emergent behavior because physics physics is an un, it's basically an unlimited rule set, right? There are laws, there are physical laws, but within that you can start to do really crazy things. Any game that has true physics has emergent behavior because you can start to mess around with the limits of that. For example, Skyrim and the car at the beginning flying off in the distance. Or the um, a great one of that, actually, is the unexpected. What happens if you get hit by a, a giant when you don't when you are very low level? Which is that because your health goes immediately, you become a frigid body. And the, the hit of the giant is so strong that you get bounced down into the ground and go flying up into the air, which is hilarious. Don't think it was necessarily intended from the beginning, but is great to look at. Um, because it's a demonstration of how traumatic it is. Any game with a physics system that, that utilizes physics probably has some capacity for emergent behavior. Um, and Breath of the Wild is an example of this. You know, it says you can apply direction and magnitude to objects using certain abilities. And so that turns into, okay, well, if I can do that, how can I start to mess around with that? You know, being able to hit one object into another can create some effects or lining up explosives or... Um, anything and all those kind of playing around my, with the... my favorite one of those on, on breath of the wild that i've seen is you i think you have to pin down a, a rock and you whack it with mm-hmm, this thing mm-hmm. a number of times and it builds up pressure yep and then just before it launches you jump onto it and it, it flings flying you through the air and even from then once you've been launched up in the air however far it is for some people that'd be the end of it and you're like you're going to go down and land but you can actually jump off from that point and then use your glider and glide even further. Yep, yeah, yep. And it's exactly that. It's going, it's almost asking that question. If, if you can ask the question, well, what if I just, then you probably have some emergent behavior in your game, right? Well, what if I just hit it a bunch of times and then jump on top of it first? What if I just, uh, you know, set up this minecart so that it, it, it 
hits another minecart and does anything. Well, what if I just um, uh, another great example? Um, sorry, just going back to the example of Team Fortress Two, the rocket jump. Uh, which is not just from Team Fortress 2. I know it's from lots of other games originally, and from uh, uh, I want to say Doom originally, but someone's going to correct me on that in the comments. Um, the fact uh, that you can basically—it's it, a thing that's existed in loads of games. Rockets have force. You are a physical object. Instead of shooting somebody else, why don't you shoot under your own feet, and the force of that launches you further? Right. The rocket jump has been a staple type of emergent behavior that's existed in the game. So anything that's got physics is going to have emergent behavior. Um, but it's it's not just physics. It's it's systems. It's discrete systems that exist within themselves, right? It's so that you access the system. You have in the system has ins and outs, right? You know, you do a thing, a physical force happens. You put an object in, money comes out. You put in crafting items, a object comes out with a set number of skills, right? If you can put in things, and those in things can be adjusted, so with different percentages or amount of force or direction or your level changes it or your ability changes it or whatever it is and the out can therefore be affected by the in changes that is allows for emergent behavior basically at a very pure sense that is where emergent behavior exists if those things can't change so for example in zelda right in the original 2ds you know you can stab but it's not going to change something gets hurt right Maybe you can stab your stabs become stronger, but that's only going to linearly direct how much damage you then do. It's not an emergent behavior. It's not allowing other things to then happen. Whereas, um, if you say take um, uh, say Grand Theft Auto as an as an example, uh, if you uh, get a a car with uh, a very strong car, for example then you can play a different type of game, like where you try try and get through this road with lots of cars piling up and smashing through them all, compared to if you had a weak car, the fact that you couldn't play that because it's not even possible. Or you could try and do it and see what happens. And there's all these sort of variations of ins and, ins and outs. So the way that I would basically say, if you're, if you're thinking about, I'm interested in having emergent behavior, the way to think about it is, can you make a discrete system that has ins and outs? And that if you can do that, where the ins can affect the outs in unexpected ways. So, you know, physics is a very easy one um, because that's mostly built into engines nowadays. Um, economies are great ones because it's all about percentages playing off each other and you don't necessarily know how those numbers are going to affect each other. Um, uh, i trying to think of another good example now. Uh, all the examples I think of are physics-based waves in, you know, <laughs> Sea of Thieves and how that could affect. I you guess know, the you could have um, like different buffs and debuffs, right? Yeah, essentially. Uh, you know, so well, yeah, exactly. So the uh, and that and and synergies are probably you know they are designed for, but there's capacity for synergies in games to come from emergent behavior. You know, you don't necessarily expect this thing and this thing to work well together, but then they do. And this is you may hear this a lot from from uh, uh, developers of it's not a bug, it's a feature which is that mm. certain things may not have been intended by the original person who made it originally, but manifest, and then you go, oh, actually, this is much better than what we had. A classic, one of the, mo the most classic examples of this is combos in fighting games, because the first fighting game did not have combos. You just you hit, and you're back, and you did the next thing, and you're back. And it was only in Street Fighter 2 when they were making it that, dis that people discovered if you... I'm going to get this wrong now. If you did, uh, following a certain type of attack, if you did another one within a certain sort of time frame, it changed how the attack sort of manifested. It could be, it'd be a little bit quicker than you'd expect, or you couldn't get hit in return, and there was a little gap in it. And that kind of, and the top players were then like, well, we'll just use that then, because why would we do, you know, if we can make it better. I think, yeah, they, I think you're right. They discovered like a stun lock, right? Yeah, that, I think that was what it was. Um, yeah. and, and that is the birth of combos that by utilizing this kind of glitch essentially in the game al allowed them an advantage over another player um, created the space in which the developers went well maybe we should lean into it this way and it leans into a lot of uh, if you've heard the expression find the fun or follow mm. the fun even which is basically when people developers are making games a lot of times they will have an idea of what the good aspect of their game is but when playing it they discover that actually this 
very small thing here is the thing that's new and fun and interesting. And they basically chase that to figure out how can they turn that aspect into a much bigger game as opposed to whatever the idea was originally. Um, so, for example, this is, this is a personal example. A game we were working on a long time ago called Antiphase, um, which was like a, a top-down uh, wave... Uh, arcade wave destroying game so waves of enemies came in you went around the map finding and destroying them the most fun thing about that entire game was that your weapon was like a, a, a was basically like a wave push so an enemy would come towards you you could fire the thing at them that would basically push them back physically so the more close they were to you the more force they would and if they hit a wall they would smash into a thousand pieces right and it was fun i mean if you've ever thrown a plate at a wall you know it's fun to smash <laughs> yeah. things and watch them explode, right? Yeah. And that was the bit that was the most enjoyable. And even though that that game didn't do it, 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 due to us trying to implement too much feedback, we didn't follow the fun aspect of the game. We tried to do loads of other stuff and add in loads of game modes and all this kind of thing, and we lost track of what we enjoyed about it. What we ended up doing was, was sort of resetting. Go, what was the most fun thing about this? Oh, it was the act of of physically like smashing into someone, and that allowed us. We took that bit and then we made a new game, which was about sumo wrestling where you go around the map trying to smash into your teammates. And that even, you know, that game is, is on our backbone at the minute and we've worked on it for about a year and a half. That's still fun. It's still fun to smash into someone and watch them go flying, right? No matter how long it's been, that is a fun thing to do. And if you've played yeah. any kind of driving game or the, the Mario Party games where you have to on the balls and roll into each other or any game where you have, you get to fit or Grand Beast, anything where you get to physically knock some, knock into your teammate and watch, or your opponent and watch them go flying is fun regardless and that's and that's the thing is that there are some key things that are just fun so rolling so uh rolling back originally to how do you design it you're looking for interesting and fun things that happen because of the rules and you're trying to design systems that the output is is connected to the input but not necessarily in a linear fashion it's not one goes in, one goes out. It's one go. It's if you put a number in, you're not hundred percent sure what's going to come out, but you know it's defined by the rule set that exists. And just seeing how you can play with that um, to see what happens. You know whether it's uh, you know if I do a punch and then another punch very quickly, is that new thing more interesting than what would have happened before? Does it create something new? It's just about defining those kind of systems, really. And uh, so I guess the the key there is the balance between. Uh, it being a little bit random and it being absolute chaos. Like you, you want it to be like, oh yeah, if we did this and this, this might happen or that might happen. But you don't want it to be like, we if we do this and this, we have no idea what will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because so um, yeah. So I was going to say, I mean, you you don't want uh, it has to. It's it's still behavior at the end of the day. It's still coming from the player. Still has to understand why that thing has happened because otherwise they won't be yeah. able to do it again. Um, right, right. If you, for example, like let's say you you press you know, R two and L two, and the first time it happened, you know, if it, let's say they were a punch, no, punching game, and the first time you did it was right hook, left hook, and you discovered you did them both together, it was more powerful. But if you discovered then that every time you did it, it was a random amount of power, like sometimes less, sometimes more, it's not really emergent behavior because you're not going to do it again because you're like, well, it's a, it's a waste of time. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's mm. better. Whereas if you've discovered that doing them both together and timing it well always makes a three times as more powerful hits, then you go, well, that's what I'm going to do every time from now on. And then maybe you play into that and go, okay, but maybe, you know, every time you punch, it's got a, a weight to it. So you can't do it every time. So you, you, you would be better. To, maybe you have to decide timing it versus the occasional one of these because you need the advantage of that exact moment. And it's about right, right. defining the rule sets to allow emergent behavior to exist, but still within the rule sets because if, it, if it's just random or uh inconsistent then the player doesn't gain anything from having that emergent behavior because they can't they can't count on it they can't use it in a way that's useful to them because it's no longer a rule it's just a vague right. thing that happens in the game and so the behavior you can't build on something you can't build on, on loose foundations they have to know yeah. that it's going to be consistent and then from there go well because this is consistent we can now go and do the rest of these things so now that we know how you can design for emergent behavior in your game, what should you do when emergent behavior just naturally appears in your game? 
So this is this is where it gets interesting is that it, because of how it works, it's very easy for games that already exist for emergent behavior to just appear, even if the people who made the game weren't expecting it. Tribes being a wonderful example of that. Mm. What you do at that point is up to you. You have to decide the kind of game that you're making and what you want your game to be and to be played like. For some people, that will mean leaning into the new emergent behavior and going, this looks really fun and interesting and people love it. I, let's make let, it's almost either you can just allow it to exist or you incorporate it as part of the game. You know, Street Fighter took combos and made them a core part of what they were. And now they, you know, and now it exists. Tribes that became a core part of what the game is. You know, Rocket jumping has been in games since uh, Quake and Doom because it's interesting. So you can take it on board and bring it in, or you decide this is not this is taking away from the game, and to allow it to continue will damage the reputation and credibility of the game that I wanted to make in the first place, regardless of whether it's fun. Uh, mm. This is definitely the case with things like glitches. Uh, you know, it, when things break um, or people are able to, to, to break the system, um, being able to, to patch that out uh, is better. Um, for example, it may have been the case, so this is another example, uh, poke, any Game Boy game is famous for having these kind of behaviours because the way that the memory works in those games, you can literally sort of walk around in an odd way and break the memory the memory of the game. The classic mm -hmm. example of this was, was there was a, a glitch which basically allowed you to spawn a uh, Pokemon that didn't exist. Um, and then it would basically t multiply an item that you had to 100, 100 times, um, which is a huge glitch when one of the items is lets you level up your Pokemon for free. Um, and... Had they been able to patch that out, I expect they probably would have done that because that undermines the fundamental characteristics of the game. Even though it's fun to cheat and get yourself ahead of the game, that's not what the game is about. Whereas if Tribes had patched out uh, the free movement, I think it could have very much undermined what the game could be, the potential of the game to become this really interesting, like fast-flowing game that people talk about fondly because they really enjoyed that aspect of it, even though it wasn't meant to be there originally um so really you have to decide for yourself whether the thing that you're seeing in terms of the emergent behavior is fun and interesting and leans into what you either what you want your game to be or what you're happy for your game to become or whether it fundamentally undermines what the game is supposed to be or is going to result in negative feedback for the people who do it and therefore you need to patch it out and remove the ability for it to exist but it's really going to be case by case basis for the individual game and the individual game developer designer. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So, with all of that in mind, um, I'm going to throw two questions at once for you here. <laughs> yep. So, uh, how could it uh, help the game long term, and could it actually hinder the game instead? Exactly. Yeah, it can. It can help games that are. Any game that otherwise, you know, every game can be helped by urgent behavior because it can help the game feel fresh and feel interesting. And uh, every time people play it, it's, it's a little bit different. And if you can get it w well defined within certain parameters that it can emerge, but only within the realms that you want it to or, or the realms that you can control, then yeah, it can help your game. Even if you're a small developer and you don't have hours and hours and hours to build content, it can help your game feel interesting and new and, and have that kind of long-term gameplay factor that, you know, AAA developers have the time and money to build where you may not, but you can still gain it. You know, take games like, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, Slay the Spire has some random, uh, maybe I'll Slay the Spire, but pick any kind of small, interesting game um, that has that kind of freedom in it. Descenders, that's a better example, where you don't know what the maps are going to be like. Now, that's more procedural generation, um, but it's an example of because it changes every time you play, it remains interesting. And that's why Petit Generation and Emergent Behaviour sort of walk hand in hand a lot of the time because they make things more interesting um, and allow yeah. things to change over time. Minecraft is, is probably the best example. You know, Minecraft is procedural generated maps with then emergent game, with laws on top that allow emergent gameplay. You know, it's why it's the most popular, one of the most popular games of all time because it's built on a bank of uniqueness. Every time you play, it's a little bit different to the last time you played. And things are going to change depending on that. And what you want to do in that world is open to you because the laws are there to allow you to play within that space. Um, but by the same token, you know, if your game becomes fundamentally broken because of some kind of hack, then your game can lose out over the long term. Like 
with Pokemon uh, Red and Blue, if you if that cheat gets out and everyone learns, well, I can just infinitely duplicate my items. Why do I care about playing, you know, the leveling up aspect of the game if I can just have one Pokemon level ninety nine and just walk through the rest of it? Undermines the game. Same with Skyrim. If I can have an item of a, of a million damage, why do I care about anything else? And it's up to you then to decide whether you trust the integrity of the players who care about your game to not to allow the system to exist that can allow that to exist and that's interesting but not to use it because they know that it fundamentally breaks the game and you kind of have to decide at that point if that's what you want to be in your game or not and again leaning back to the previous question it's about the case-by-case basis it it can definitely it can very easily become very harmful but it can also be a benefit and you just got to decide whether which way you want to play it so um, with everything that we've learned thus far about uh, emergent behavior in games, what could we do to learn more about emergent behavior in games? So emergent behavior has been studied quite uh, rigorously. Um, so there are loads of resources online. Uh, you can find uh, articles by everyone from sort of PhD researchers looking into the emergent behavior. There are uh, really interesting examples around things called uh, uh, called cellular, cellular automata, which is basically emergent behavior in games with no players and how you can define rule sets to allow things to kind of happen. So I'd suggest go and look into that. Uh, if you're interested to see where it can go wrong, uh, I recommend uh, Let's Game It Out because there's, uh, his videos are really interesting examples of games that allow for emergent behavior being manipulated by the player to break the fundamental rules of the game. It's really interesting to find those limitations. Uh, and again, there's also lots of videos by people, um, YouTubers and that kind of thing, where you can go and, and learn more about how people play around with it. And of course, you can also join the Game Dev London Discord and discuss emergent behavior in games that you've played and enjoyed uh, and see how people have found it themselves, see where people have designed it for themselves uh, and how that's gone for the individuals as well. Perfect. So I think that's probably a good place for us to end for today. Um, Again, as always, if you'd like to learn more about uh, what we do at Game Dev London, just visit gamedev.london. Or as Adam said, you can join our Discord. That's gamedev.london forward slash join. Uh, and obviously we drop a podcast i say obviously you may or may not know we drop a podcast <laughs> we try i say we try and drop a podcast we absolutely definitely drop a podcast every monday at 6 p.m uh so come and join us again next time uh thanks a lot bye bye